0: The blue line leaves it. Kale McCarr winds, fires, score! It's too good to be true, but believe it. Oh, hail Kale! Now Rubidoux, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a save made by Philip Grubauer! Just outstanding stuff. I am Grub. And Zadorov smash! (laughs) Oh my goodness! Yeah. What a bone crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in. And he is slowly making his way towards the bench. And hello
1: everybody out there in Avalanche Land. Welcome into another episode of Avalanche Talk to Mile High Sports podcast where we talk all things avalanche i mean pretty self-explanatory i am your host jj jerez as always and with me today of course is Arif dean how's it going Arif?
2: good jj you know you know hanging in there with the avalanche
1: <laughs> i'm looking forward to this break coming up but we'll get more into that later we also got a little bit of a andre burakovsky conversation that Arif had uh earlier this weekend correct yep uh that'll be at the end of the show so uh stick with us till then till then uh Thanks for joining us. Happy Monday. I hope you're listening to us on a Monday, but if not, either way, I appreciate you for coming in. I wanted to start off this podcast kind of talking about our last one, just how little shelf life that one ended up having. I mean, we really pumped the Avs tires talking about how they finally righted the ship. Um, Then we were suddenly blindsided by three, I would say, kind of ugly losses.
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say I can't blame us, but honestly can't really blame us they put up seven goals on the st louis blues and then you know they won a game that you were expecting to win by scoring five goals on the new jersey devils and then it seemingly just all went downhill from there we thought they had solved their problems
1: yeah absolutely i mean we did say a couple good things here and there but overall our predictions were off and yeah. just the fact that we thought everything was going to be okay from here on out was way off too yeah We first started with that New York Islanders game, and I think personally that's the game that broke them. Um, You know, I think they just had a a frustrating game, and I think that's typical of what the Islanders try to play. I mean, they give them that two thirds of the ice, and then just absolutely shut down the the their defensive side, which would be the Avalanche's offensive side. And really, in that game, the Avalanche weren't able to attack much in the zone. They I mean, Varlamov had a great game shutting out the Avalanche, a lot of saves, but really wasn't challenged too much. I mean, there were a couple big ones, but most of the shots were kind of softies from the point.
2: Yeah, he never, he didn't face as many tough shots, and that's sort of been the Islanders' MO since Barry Trotz and Mitch Korn and that whole system came into play, uh, which is why you have guys like Thomas Grace and Semyon Varlamov posting, you know, 930 save percentages, and no disrespect to them. They're good goalies, but they're not 930 carry price, you know winning a heart trophy level goalies so they did frustrate the avalanche they did exactly what they're meant to do and that's give up shots from the outside and varlamov did have one or two you know really great saves that i can remember off the top of my head but that was a game that was very frustrating it was zero zero right down to the wire and it was a very winnable game if you could just grind out a goal which they kind of did but it was called back because the puck was 30 feet up in the air and sort of over the blue line that's good old offside review but that game really did sort of set them back I would say in in a sense where if they had won that one you have a three game winning streak and they lost it and it was tough because that was the most winnable game of the three it's just
1: tough to watch
2: those kind of games
1: because you see what they're capable of when they're playing at the top of their capabilities and then you see them just have this frustrating type of game. I mean, pucks hitting their sticks, bouncing off, you know, n- not yeah. just getting poked when they're trying to enter the blue line, blue cross the blue line. I mean, they're having a hard time even just doing that. Yeah. Um, so I kind of saw similarities in the way the Penguins played against the Avalanche, too. So I'm hoping that there's not a book out now on Colorado that this is the way you defend them and you completely break them down. Um, but while I think that the Islanders are the ones that broke the avalanche you kind of came out with an article this week on milehighsports.com and it kind of hints that they maybe broke a little bit earlier i want right before you get into that to bring us back to friday night you and i covering that avalanche penguins game avalanche had the lead going in the third and you even said i don't think this is one you know lead going in the third they got to close this one out right those those bugs are out but alas it's those third periods isn't it
2: yeah I mean, right when Landis scored that goal, you know, the Penguins had a couple of chances in that final minute. And as soon as that buzzer was getting ready to sound, I told you they have a lead going into the third period. They have to win this game. No excuses. Not an overtime loss, not a shootout loss, not a regulation loss. Leading, entering the third period, you have to win this game. Just to sort of shake the cobwebs of what's been sort of uh, tormenting this team for the last three and a half weeks. And lo and behold, they not only lost, but they... They had to scramble for a last-minute goal in the final 30 seconds in order to even send it to overtime, and then obviously in overtime they lost there. So, yeah, leading, uh, you know, going from that into the article that was published on Sunday, um, the Avalanche are 3-6-2 in their last 11 games, and that goes back to the game against Carolina, where if you remember they were leading one nothing. It was on the back end of a back-to-back. They had beaten the Blackhawks, and then they were playing at home against Carolina, one of the better teams in the NHL, it was 0-0 heading to, to the third. The Avalanche took an early 1-0 lead and then gave up those three late goals and then within 3 minutes in the final 3 minutes of regulation and lost 3-1. So starting from that game until now they've played 11 games. They are 3-6 and 2 in those 11 games. There's two things that are very staggering about that. In those 8 losses, regulation and overtime uh, and was it a shootout loss against Dallas. So in those 8 losses, they have held the lead at one point or another in the third period five times. The other three times, they were tied in the third. So they never once entered a game, you know, like, for example, let's say against Pittsburgh, they're losing 4-1 to entering the third, and then they lose 5-2. to Like, it was never any of those games. Every single game was winnable because in the third period, they were either tied or uh, leading at one point or another. So of those eight games... Obviously, they went 0-6 and 2. On top of that, this is the one that's even more of a head-scratcher. Throughout the first 34 games of the year leading up to that point against Carolina, the Avalanche surrendered 23 goals against in the third period in 34 games. That was a league best. In the 11 games since, counting that Carolina game, they have surrendered 23 goals against in the third period, a league worst. The first 34, the last 11, the same amount of goals against in the third. And then here's where it gets even more interesting. In those first 34 games, keep up with me, guys. It's a lot of numbers. In those first 34 games, they were very last in the NHL in terms of goals against in the first period. In the last 11 games, they are a top-7 team in terms of surrendering the least amount of goals in the first. So here's a pattern that's been happening. From October 3rd until December 18, the Avalanche were starting the game slow, defensively. Starting the game slow, getting better, getting better, closing it out, winning. In the last 11 games since December 19, the Avalanche are starting the game strongly defensively. Getting worse, getting worse, failing to close it out, losing. And that's sort of been the head scratcher. The entire season has flipped on a dime from that game against the Carolina Hurricanes until now. And these patterns show that it's sort of been, it's going in completely the opposite direction. It's not one specific thing. It's the entire game has changed from the way they've started to the way they've ended over these last 11 games.
1: And that just goes back to something we've hammered over and over: just Coach Bednar's frustration that his team can't put a full sixty together. Yeah, I mean they finally figure out how to do the first period, and I think that was the the most telling stat that you pointed out. And for anybody that wants to catch the article and couldn't follow those numbers, uh, catch it on MileHighSports.com. It's uh, right at the top of the Avalanche page. But the fact that those twenty-three goals against in the third periods in the first thirty-four and then 23 goals in the third period of 11. I thought in the last 11 games, I thought that was the just most astounding stat. They're obviously just blowing it in the third yeah. period. I don't know what about a team would make it flip-flop in that sense, but obviously whatever attention they put, towards the first periods of play. They obviously have to now redirect it back into the third periods of play and see if they can start to generate a full 60 minutes. Because when they do, you look back at that week that we did the podcast. They beat the Blues down. They beat the Devils down. you got to put together that full 60. And, you know, this isn't reinventing the wheel. This is normal hockey stuff that you hear since the time you're four years old. Put together a full game. And that's what's crazy about the NHL. And I was thinking about this uh, during that Pittsburgh game is – everything has to be so right and you have to give a hundred percent a hundred percent of the time in the NHL it's the pros you don't have time to just sit back even for a second because what happens a quick mistake a quick turnover a bobbled pass here or there and the other team can capitalize with no issue even a team that's bruised and battered like the Pittsburgh Penguins I mean I don't know what else to say from there it's just you got to figure figure this stuff out is it the fact that they're young is it the fact that they're still you know building these calluses that we spoke of last week what is it that's making this team have such a hard time put together a full 60 cuz i'm sure if you ask go back and ask jared bednar point out the games for me that your team played a full 60 i would guess it's probably less than about 30%
2: oh yeah and i mean that's just that's you know speaks that speaks to the amount of depth and skill and talent this team has that they are a top three in the Central Division, still one of the better teams in the NHL, still on pace for that roughly 100-point uh, number, which is a great number to have for a regular season success. And they haven't really figured out how to play a complete game. Um, and it's kind of weird to look at the way that these games have been going, the way they've been losing the games, uh, you know, against the Rangers. They had a 2 to nothing lead really early on a rookie goalie, granted one of the better goalies that, you know, had not played in the NHL yet, but against a rookie goalie, and not only did they lose and give up that 2 nothing lead, but two things. They lost in regulation, and they gave up that 2 nothing lead in the same period they got it in the first period. Um, that's always going to be a gut punch.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that New York Rangers game was – what you usually see when the avalanche take the foot off the gas that was the mm-hmm. epitome of the frustrating avalanche they had they get an early lead they look like the better team it looks like it's going to be a blowout mckinnon scored that nice goal you you just
2: thought they're going to run away with this Yeah, this,
1: this poor sure kid i i'm sure i butchered yep <laughs> yeah uh you know that's what i thought i was like oh man his nhl debut he's going to get pulled it's going to be a blowout, and you know they just didn't put it all together and it's it's just a frustrating issue to have. I also wonder how much of that has to do with just simple playing time. I'd love to, you know, this takes a couple of days, a couple of weeks even, to, to really go back, do the research, and do the stats, but I'd love to see, you know, the the top guys' production in those third periods, the top guys' production in the later half of the games when they're playing kind of the heavier load in the beginning half of the game. So I wonder how much that has to factor.
2: Yeah, I don't know. All I know is that the Avalanche uh – they're they're sort of stuck in the shred and the weirdest part about it is that, you know, they're losing games not just in different ways, but there's a different there's a different uh you know, outcome to each loss that they have. You know, against Pittsburgh, you're playing one of the better teams in the NHL over the last couple of months. Here's a crazy number for you, completely, uh, out of the blue. In the 28 games since since Sidney Crosby got injured, the Pittsburgh Penguins are the best team in the NHL. I don't know why, I don't know how, but that's just filthy, rich talent and just a spoiled franchise and they're just unbelievably, they, they're run so well and that's simply what it, what it is. But you know, going back to that point, beating the Penguins can be that, that hurdle that you jump and having that chance to win could have been a very, very big, uh, a big victory for the Avalanche heading into, you know, the next four games of this five game homestand. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have the Rangers game where you have a rookie goaltender, never played in the NHL before. Again, one of the better goalies in the, uh, that, are, that were outside of the NHL before he played that night. One of the, uh, A rookie goalie that's never played in the NHL, you have a 2 to nothing lead in the first period. You are expected to win that game. Mm-hmm. So the game where they weren't expected to win, that could have turned the corner for them. They ended up losing, and that's frustrating. The game that they should have won, they ended up blowing. And that one's a gut punch so now you have sort of these two different out you know the the same outcome but it's 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 uh, a, a different reason for why you're frustrated and how do you how do you build off of that how do you go into these next four games you know playing teams like Detroit and San Jose which are weaker teams and playing stronger teams that are ahead of you in the conference like Dallas and St. Louis Dallas you're you're probably not expected to win but if you win that's big San Jose you better damn win that game St. Louis, back to what I said with Dallas, Detroit, back to what I said with San Jose. So now you're stuck in this thing where it's like you have to win those two games against Detroit and San Jose, and then you got Dallas and St. Louis, where you're not expected to win. But winning one, winning two of those could really turn a corner for you.
1: Yeah, you'd like to think that uh, you know that these types of games are going to happen throughout the season at some point, anyway. You kind of, hopefully, with you know a, a very positive mindset, like to think that they're all just happening right now. It's just a cluster of these bad games that we're going to see some real winning stretches and some winning streaks here down, down the road. That's what you hope to think, right? Because this team is talented enough to not be this bad that we're watching right now. And you'd you'd like to just hope that it's just kind of an anomaly part of the season. That's what I'm
2: yeah, I mean, cannot. it's that awkward middle point of the season. Not that the Avalanche have been one of those teams like the Capitals or the Blues or the Sharks, where every year they're in the playoff race. Um, but it's that middle part of the season where you know things can drag on. You sort of take your foot off the pedal. You're no longer in that oh the season just started. I'm I'm excited. And I'm pumped phase. But you're not in that. You're not yet at that phase where you are after the trade deadline, where it's like holy crap, the playoffs are coming around the corner, and we got to put our foot right back on the pedal. So you're stuck in that middle rut. I think this is the time where you need to fix those mistakes that you're making is sort of address them and make sure you nip this in the bud before it gets to, you know, late February, early March.
1: Yeah, that's kind of where I was going to go is I feel like we've been saying that for a while that this is just that part Mm -hmm. of the season. It's been a few weeks that we've been saying that at what point do you kind of have to maybe sound the alarms a bit and say, all right, guys, we don't have time or room for these kind of mistakes. anymore." It's
2: it's right now in this homestand Mm -hmm. Uh, before the Pittsburgh game last Thursday. Jared Bender said at practice that. The Avalanche need to make a statement over these... Um, you know, I'm not quoting him word for word, but you have to make a statement over this five-game homestand, and if you lose the first one, you're already chasing. Now they're already chasing. They really, really, really need to come out of this five-game homestand with probably like a 3-1-1 a record, which means winning three of the next four because that Pittsburgh game was an OTL. Again, you have two games you're expected to win, two games that are going to be a little bit tougher. This is the time to turn the corner because after that uh, long layover, you go into a five-game road trip and then you have a five-game homestand after that again. So the schedule is sort of going into a little bit of a wonky phase. You cannot go into a five-game road trip uh, through the Eastern Conference and then ending with Minnesota um, coming out of an all-star break feeling down because you lost to detroit or you lost to san jose or you lost three of these next four games or whatever it may be this is the time to sound those alarms because once you come out of the all-star break it's it's full steam ahead not just to the playoffs but to the trade deadline first and that's when the avalanche are going to need to make a move
1: yeah i mean this upcoming couple of weeks is might just be exactly what the doctor ordered you know the stars are aligning for them to maybe figure it out and actually write the ship this time because a long home stand followed by the All-Star break, followed by a bye week, you know, all those things combined just – because I don't know. To me, it doesn't look like the Avalanche are 100% healthy. It looks to me like we got a handful of guys that are playing through injuries. You know, there obviously yeah. we'll never know how right we are or how wrong we are on that. But the optics test is just telling me that –
2: there's some guys that are battling through, namely Miko Rantanen. Thank and you. That was going to be the number one name at the top of my list. Is Miko Rantanen has just his season flipped, you know, on its head after he came back from his injury. Again, he came back. He put up four points in his first game back from injury. We all remember that. He played 12 minutes that night. It was just one of those nights. But since then. He's you know he's barely a point per game player right now, if even that. And this was a guy that had 12 points in his first nine games, 16 in his first 10. Was on pace to hit 100 points, even though he missed 16 games. Like he was having a heck of a season. And since then, he's fallen way, way back down to earth. Um, and it is alarming because the Avalanche have always always had those two unstoppable players for the last three years. And now it's down to one. You sort of have a Kale McCarr growing into that role, but you also just paid Miko Rantanen for six years. You want him to be that guy as well. And you know, I'm not saying that I'm concerned about his career moving forward, but it is a little bit alarming that he hasn't been able to get back to the game he has because he has proved in the past that you know being away from the game doesn't really matter as much to him as it would to some other players. You know, William Nylander sat out with the Maple Leafs last year until December. He came in, he could never really get it going. Now he's on pace for 35 goals and 70 points. Mm -hmm. Miko Rantanen skipped the entire training camp in preseason, signed his contract, stepped in on opening night, and had two goals. And he just played full throttle for that first part of the season. And then he came back from his injury, had a four-point night. We thought, here we go again. Miko Rantanen, it doesn't matter if he loses games. Kind of like Sidney Crosby. Every single time he came back from an injury, he put up three, four points in his first game back. But now he's fallen down to earth and it's it's gotta be something more because he's not by any means a player that has an injury uh has had an injury riddled career. He's still young. He's just now entering his prime something's got to be going on there there's a little bit so there's something a little bit questionable about his
1: game what worries me the most about his game right now is that you're for the first time really in my opinion seeing him visibly frustrated which yeah. tells you it's affecting him mentally I mean I pointed it out last week when he was taking face-offs against Ryan O'Reilly he, get, he got real mad uh, we saw against the Penguins uh, it was one dig that he took in the corner just caught a weird edge he gets up and was just visibly pissed off Kind of coasted his way back into the defensive zone. It, it, that's what worries me the most is that not only is his physical play just being affected, his mental play is now starting to get affected. And
2: I, I mean, I'm sure you know Miko Rantanen. You see him around the locker room. That's a happy guy. He's mm-hmm. he's, and I always love the way the locker room set up because it's so hilarious how it is. It's you got Miko Rantanen on the left, you got Nathan McKinnon right around the corner on the right. Nathan McKinnon is always work 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 he's always has that serious face on that game face I just want to win hockey games Miko Rantanen's got a little bit of a of a comedic edge to him he's a very fun guy likes to smile laugh make jokes and then right in the middle you got Gabe Landiscock who's sort of a mixture of both and sort of brings that line together that's the way that they're set up in the locker room at the Pepsi Center and it works very very well you have Landeskog there to sort of keep McKinnon in check and they keep Rantanen in check and now Rantanen is sort of becoming frustrated, and I've never seen it before. Granted, I've only been here for this season, but he's just—he's not that same happy-go-lucky guy that he was even a month ago. And obviously it's because of his on-ice play is sort of getting to him mentally. And you never want to fall into something like that because sometimes it could take an entire off-season to get out of that rut.
1: Right, absolutely. We always used to talk about it with Varlamov, You know, losing that confidence in your body. Just really affects your yeah. play, and I, and it, it's it's tough to see. You know, you don't want to maybe chalk this season up as just bad luck. So that's why I think these next couple of weeks are going to be huge for the Avalanche. Get a couple wins, get some rest, get back to healthy and, and buzzing at 100%, if they're even unhealthy. Of course, yeah. we're just speculating. We're saying – something's not adding up we're just trying to put two and regardless
2: there's something going on there whether it's physically unhealthy, unhealthy or mentally unhealthy and frustrated there's something there that needs to be fixed and hopefully soon uh heading into this final stretch in, in february and march and so April. along with that i
1: guess what is the answer to to riding the ship in my opinion i mean is it health like we just kind of broke down uh, you know, What, what would you kind of like to see go differently for them to really start putting together those full 60s and closing games out and writing those third
2: periods? Honestly, it's exactly what Bednar's sort of been talking about for the last little while. And it's it's been frustrating to see that it hasn't been able to take form and, you know, the, the, the words have not become actions yet. Um, because obviously actions speak louder than words and bedner has been saying and ian cole told me the same thing It's the commitment to checking. It's the commitment to playing defense as a unit not just the defenseman It's not that the avalanche have a bad defense it's that the team is playing bad defensively The third man in is not coming into support. Ian cole mentioned. Uh, he referenced one of the plays in the uh, What was the last game before uh, for the road trip? I believe it was the rangers Yeah, the last game of the road trip was the rangers. There was a play against the rangers where picking up the ice in the defensive zone. I forget the player, but Ian Cole was talking about how that player took the puck from his zone into the neutral zone, They had a chance in the offensive zone to forecheck and break up that play. They had a chance in the neutral zone to forecheck and break up that play. And then the guy came into the offensive zone. They had a chance again in the defensive zone for the Avalanche to forecheck and break up that play. And they missed the assignment all three times. And it's just because the team is not communicating well. They're not playing good team defense. And Bednar talked about it at the end of the Pittsburgh game. He made made the kind of statement that sort of calls out his team that I've never seen him make this season where he said – The more experienced teams in the NHL are more vocal and they communicate more, and we don't do that. If somebody's going to get a play, let the guy know so that he can go and make sure that he's – taking care of his assignment rather than being lost in no man's land and that's sort of what's been happening is these rushes that malcolm shot was unbelievable it was a great shot but it was a missed assignment by the avalanche and this goes back to that carolina game over these past 11 it's just been a culmination of missed assignments leading to bad goals and frustrating play and then you see the players gripping their sticks you see him hitting the boards and that's been that's been you know what's been happening over the last 11 games. They have to fix their defensive play if they expect to win games. And the communication, obviously, that's, yeah.
1: that's a big thing. And if you're if you're getting called out by your coach for lack like, of communication, that's obviously And
2: by Bednar of all coaches. You know he doesn't do that often.
1: It's these damn millennials. I mean, they're such a young <laughs> team. Maybe if they could text each other, uh, yeah. you know, hey man on man on, uh, that might help them. So <laughs> for me, I think I what I want to see from the Avalanche is, is just more tenacity. I, I feel like they started the year. Very, we're just having that fire in their belly. You know, you, yeah, we've seen a couple of players, JT Comfort, Nazem Kadri, they have it kind of all the time. And I don't mean that tenacity, like Kadri, you know, respect for standing up for Don Scoy, but that's not what I mean. I mean, you know, that, that fire into the corner. I'm just that competitiveness, just not letting other people be better than you.
2: That's what Rantanen has been lacking.
1: Right. Absolutely. You know, and we know McKinnon has that, but when he feels the pressure, like I'm sure he's feeling it now, he gets worse. So we just need to have more of that competitive fire, in my opinion. And uh, I don't know, just imposing your will. You know, this team, like we've said a million times, is an amazing team. Everybody that comes into play the Avalanche knows that they're about to face a tough team. Well, make them feel it. Make them feel it for the entire time. Let them know who the better guy is. Who's the big dog in the building?
2: Yeah, uh, they need to – they absolutely definitely need to do that, and they need to start doing that against every team because they've sort of fallen into this uh – you don't want to fall into this rut in the beginning of the season basically what I'm trying to say is in the beginning of the season Even when they played good teams you had the you had this mentality that every game has become winnable mm-hmm. There's no oh, we're going into Minnesota. We're gonna lose Nashville's coming to town We're gonna to lose so on and so forth. It's become every game is winnable Now you've gotten to that point because of their recent play where you play teams out of the playoffs like the Rangers and it's like Are they actually gonna win this game? So now you're going into these next four games and looking at Dallas and St. Louis. In the beginning of the season, I would have said these are four winnable games. Mm-hmm. Now I'm talking about how Dallas and St. Louis are games that you're not expected to win, and San Jose and Detroit games you're expected to win. And that's sort of what they can't fall into. They cannot fall into that mental game where they don't believe that they can win every game because they should believe that they can win every game because they do have the talent to do so. Yeah,
1: it's a, it's a little bit of complacency that's setting in. They're expecting themselves to make the playoffs. They expect to be great. So, you know, it's almost seemed like they're coasting. As much as we hate to hear the cliches, like "I'm," we got to take it one game at a time, that's literally what they have to do right now. I remember a couple podcasts ago when we had Nathan McKinnon and uh, you, a conversation at the end, I remember he mentioned something along the lines of when we get to the playoffs, you know, not as so much if. and.
2: And they've been doing it all season. That's every tough. every single player in the locker room has been doing it all season. McKinnon is sort of this year, he's kind of had that. He's been able to gauge the team for exactly what it is, and he constantly says it. We're a good team. We should win. We are going to win this game. We are going to win this game. And he says, in the past, you know, every player every year says, I have a chance to win. But he says, in the past, you know, I never really believed it. This year, I actually believe it. I actually know this year I can win and we can win as a team. The Avalanche can make a run. So... It's kind of turned into them. when I talked to Bednar before that road trip where they went through New Jersey and the two New York teams, I asked him, are you starting to, you know, all season it's been, let's look ahead to St. Louis, let's catch the Blues. But now that you guys are in this bit of a losing rut, and this is before those losses against the New York teams in Pittsburgh, now that you guys are in this losing rut, are you sort of not looking at St. Louis anymore, but you're looking behind you to Dallas and Winnipeg that's starting to catch you? And he said, no. We're in a good position. We're gonna stay in this position, and we're gonna keep moving forward because we're a good team, and that's where we're expected to look. But at what point does that stop? Mm-hmm. It's sort of getting to that point now because now you're closer to the Dallas and Winnipeg's and the wild card teams in general than you are to St. Louis. Am I worried that the Avalanche could miss the playoffs? Absolutely not. I'm not there yet. It could get there if this homestand goes goes completely off the you know uh, off the rails. But as of right now, you know the avalanche you know someone like nathan mckinnon who's been a realist all year in his mind is he still thinking we're a damn good team we're gonna win every game or is he starting to think we need to change something
1: Mm -hmm. yeah that's a great point i mean you love the confidence from everybody but at the same time you got to get back to the basics and stop thinking so far ahead at the playoffs what are we going to do this year in the playoffs and really just get back to what who's next who's next and right now Who's next is the Stars? So let's just focus on that right now. Yep. What do you want to see from that game? Uh, let's look back at the last time they played, too. I mean, what's got to be different from the Avalanche? This is kind of a, a, a weird Dallas team to to kind of scout. Because Nobody knows what this team is You never year. know. You never know what you're going to get. You know, they've had a co- uh, coaching change. You know, the the players getting called out here and there. So they're, they're so up and down.
2: What do we need to see from Colorado? Uh Put it straightforward, a victory. Mm-hmm. You know, they got over that St. Louis Blues hump by putting up a touchdown against them a couple of weeks ago. They've yet to beat Dallas in three opportunities. And this is a team that started the year one and seven. And this is a team that has now passed you in the standings for second in the Central. They have to beat the Dallas Stars. Uh, it's almost become like there's no other option. You cannot go 0 and 4 against a division rival and expect to have home ice advantage. Any way you cut it, that cannot happen.
1: Yeah, I always hate to see when the, uh, the team that has so much offensive firepower like these Avalanche do, when they get straight up just beat by a goaltender. And that always seems to happen when they play Dallas. I mean, sometimes the, sometimes they win, sometimes they lose, of yeah. course. But no matter what, the goaltender always has a big night for Dallas. And you just got to figure out a way, whether it's Bishop or Kudobin, I think, is the backup yeah, over know. there. Um, so it, wh- whoever it is, just, just light them up. You know, yeah. just, just pepper them with shots and not just these wimpy little wristers from the blue line. Let's get some quality, aggressive, dangerous in the slot shots and, you know, just work work the dangerous spots unlike they were able to do against Pittsburgh and, and the Islanders.
2: Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, when you look at the Avalanche's schedule, you know, with that, with that all-star break in the middle, with this four-game homestand and the five-game road trip that follows, of these next – uh, eight games, only two teams are currently holding a playoff, or three teams are currently holding a playoff spot. You have Dallas, you have St. Louis, and then you have Philadelphia, who's the second wildcard team in the East, so they're barely holding on. Basically, those five games of the team's not in the playoffs, the chance of you winning all five of them is a little bit, you know, slim to none. It's still the NHL. You know, earlier today, and we're recording this on a Sunday, the Devils just ended Tampa Bay Lightning's five, uh, 10-game winning streak. That's the stuff that happens in the NHL. So if you're expecting to win all five of those games, you're probably going to win four, maybe three. So you have to beat one of these teams that are in a playoff spot. So that gives you Dallas, St. Louis, and Philadelphia. You got to win one of those games at least, and that's what they're. You know, that's that's the kind of mindset they need to have going into this game against Dallas. On top of that, you cannot go into a stretch of a five-game homestand where you lose the first two. Now you're really chasing, like Bednar was saying last week well let's pump the
1: brakes we're keeping it one game at a time just <laughs> yeah. like the avalanche need to do we're just going to sure. focus on this next one um and then you know we'll get to the other ones after that but i i just think that that they need to get back down to basics simplify everything and just impose your will like i said hopefully this upcoming stretch just kind of rectifies everything with the brakes and, and the home stand. so other than that um you know that's all i really have in terms of avalanche talking points anything you want to throw out there before we get to the three stars of the week
2: Uh, no, that's about it for me. Um, you know, some of these players are going in, are in a little bit of a rough stretch, but hopefully they could turn around over those, these next four days heading into that all-star break and get that rest they need. Hopefully, you know, if some of them are injured, they can rest up before going into that stretch run in February.
1: How much longer should we expect to see this lineup without Jonas Donskoy in it? You know, I I think he's definitely being missed while Nachuskin's kind of playing second line minutes. That's not exactly what you want to see. So... Where's Donskoy at? How much longer till he's in?
2: So the last we heard from Jared Bednar was after the Pittsburgh game, and he said that he's feeling better from the night before the practice on, on Thursday where he said that uh, Donskoy was in protocol, obviously the concussion protocol for taking the headshot. Bedner Bednar did not speak after practice today, Sunday. Uh, he is expected to speak after practice tomorrow, Monday, um, but I'd assume we'll get a, some sort of an update. Donskoy did not skate today, Sunday again
1: <laughs> well get well soon Jonas I know you're listening das need you time for <laughs> the mile high sports three stars of the week brought to you by me now apologize for star number three this isn't exactly what what's the right word I, I don't know just a little bit fanboy of me here, but it's not every day that we're in the press box yep. and you get a notable player from the opposing team sitting up there. Well, last Friday we got to sit pretty close to Sidney Crosby. That was pretty sweet, so he's getting the third star of, of the week just because of his presence. He's just one of those guys that he just walks in the room and you're like, holy shit, it's Sidney, Sidney Crosby. Crosby. Yep. So, sorry, but got to give it to him just because mm-hmm. it's cool cool to see how he how he just comports himself and kind of acts with his teammates even though those teammates are, are are the you know the healthy scratches that we're used to seeing he's still mucking it up and just treating them like any other teammate so I, I liked I enjoyed it. I know you enjoyed oh, yeah. sitting pretty yeah. close to him it was hard for us not many times there's only a handful of times have I kind of fanboyed up in that press box I think Marty Broder was one Chris Drury was another and then the, this one was Sidney Crosby so it does suck to see how many Pittsburgh Penguins fans, A, and B, how loud they got yeah. in that game. I think officially Pittsburgh has taken number one over the Chicago Blackhawks fans as the rowdiest, most annoying fan base to visit
2: Pepsi. Center. yeah, I remember that, that feeling that we had when Pittsburgh scored literally races. scared like, us. We, we were both like, were like, whoa, yeah. like who just scored? It was one of those weird things where you hear the crowd chant, but the goal horn is not going and the avalanche are not drinking. You're like, what's going on here? And mm-hmm. it kind of took the penguins. Like <laughs> they were taken aback by it as well. When yeah. you look over there, they were just like, whoa, like this is actually a lot louder than we expected.
1: Yeah. And I'm sure from the avalanche standpoint, that has to suck so much. Like, You're in your home building, and you're expecting to get a little bit of an extra spark. The road team scores, and it erupts in there, and it's maybe even louder than when the Avalanche do anything. So that stinks, but it is what it is. Sidney Crosby's great, and that's what's going to happen, you know? Yep. Star number two. I'm going to give it to Dog Nation Hockey Foundation. I spent the entire weekend uh, playing in a pond hockey tournament that they throw on annually. I think this is the fourth one I participated in. And this one was awesome. They really did a great job putting it together. And the faces that were that showed up were unbelievable. I mean, you had John Michael Lyles, John Mitchell, Jan Hayda, Milan Hayduk, Ben Scrivens for some reason. Yeah,
2: he's a, he's a Colorado guy. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Ben Scrivens showed up. Peter McNabb was there. And even... And this was my favorite, Bernie. Bernie showed up, and I said, oh, my God, Bernie, can I get a picture? So, Dog Nation it was an awesome weekend, and it's just awesome to see guys like that, like the the former pros, take an entire weekend because they had to stay up in the mountains. This was up in Keystone. Yeah. So, they had to stay up in the mountains, get up there, fight through traffic because, you know, I, I was at the Friday night game, and I'm, all those guys were too. So all of us had to drive up to that pond Hockey term on Saturday morning through the most brutal traffic, stay the night, play again on Sunday when maybe you don't want to, um, and the, the players just do such a great job. I, I love doing it with them, and they just they handle it with such class and take pictures with anybody who wants to, you know, I also got to mention my team took down a team that had both Lyles and John Mitchell on it today. Thank you very much. But no, it was just such a great experience. Dog nation does such a great job. I know Mike Chambers who you're very close with. He's a big part of dog nation. So, you know, he would love to say anything good about them, any chance he gets. So here's my one time of year where I always talk about dog nation is after the pond hockey
2: tournament. Yeah. And I think that tournament sort of speaks a lot to what, you know, what Colorado hockey has become, uh, where, you know, as a state, Colorado is now hosting these outdoor tournaments where you're able to see these NHL alumni and avalanche alumni for the most part, Ben Scribbins aside, mm-hmm. that you know, have sort of settled in Colorado and they've made they've 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 settled here post career and they're able to go out there and sort of interact with the fans. John Mitchell's just the latest of those players. John Michael Lyles obviously came on board after he retired, and it's just great to see that because uh, you know. The Avalanche just got their team 25, 26 years ago, and now they're growing into this level of, of an a NHL franchise. Yeah, I,
1: I love that you say that because you're right. Yeah. I mean, you can even tell by the way a lot of these pond hockey tournaments are ran that they're just figuring it out on the fly. These aren't things that have been established for 25 yeah. years that have been going forever like maybe you would find in perhaps Minnesota or Toronto these are just things that are popping up because of what the hockey culture in Colorado has grown yeah. into over the last 25 years that's a great point I love yeah. I love that and I that. mean
2: I I grew up in Detroit and it's been going on in Detroit since since I first moved there from Canada because no matter where you go no matter what there's always events and you're always going to see those faces the Darren McCarty's the Kirk Maltby's the Chris Draper's the Chris Chelioses. these guys have set up that base and it's just it's a franchise that's sort of in that mode where they've been here for so long they're able to just sort of sustain that the avalanche are not that they're a younger team and they're starting to build that and it's just great to see it actually growing now
1: yep yep hey duke's still got it for anybody yeah. wondering he i don't understand what if he's ever gonna lose it he's still the same great player hands score everything hey duke's the king star number one I'm a goalie. You know that. Everybody knows that. I've got to give it to my man, Pekka Rene, especially because this might be the year that he calls it a career. To score a goal after it hasn't been done in, what, seven years as a goalie, it's just something you always dream of, especially because it's something you can only do when you're up by two. You know, a goalie always wants to shoot it if you're up one and the net's empty, but it's too risky. Good chance, you know, you you don't want to risk just turning over the puck like that but to have it up by two and take his shot and then he just sinks it you, you gotta love it even though it's a, a central division opponent you just gotta love to see when a goalie scores
2: yeah i mean you just gotta like you said you're a goalie just seeing all of the goalies around the league and all of the reporters around the league you know there was a reporter in washington that said he he approached brayden holby after the game completely different game nashville's playing chicago and he approached Braden holby and said hey pecorine scored in Chicago and." Holt be lit up like no way, and it just sort. It's been happening in every NHL city, and good for Peek Good, good for Pekka Renee. I mean, that was a great shot. He sort of got down to one D, and he put a lot of power on that thing too. He he got it over everybody.
1: Yeah, he's got a great shot. I mean, there's a handful of goalies that are, are impressive that they can whip that thing almost as good as a, as a player's wrister. So, um, you know, it's good to see him. Like and like I said, he's had a great career. Is this the end? Who knows? But if so, that's a great. Great thing to do in your last year, I would say.
2: Yeah, and one of the national reporters, I remember uh, seeing a tweet where he said when he was covering the Predators, well, he's not a national reporter anymore, but he said a couple years ago when I was covering the Predators, Pecorino told me one of his dreams is to score a goal. And 37 years old, winding down your career, it's just great to have him be able to do that. It was awesome to see, and the way he celebrated was really cool too.
1: I was always so bummed that Patty never got one. Patrick Waugh was always so good at whipping that puck, especially ringing it around the boards. All I wanted to see was him get one, especially because Martin Brodeur had one. Yeah. And for me as a kid, it was, you know, the, those guys battled all the time. It's, who's the best one? Brodeur, Patrick Waugh. Well, Brodeur, Patrick Waugh. Well. It's like, oh, Brodeur has a goal. Patrick Waugh well doesn't. Uh, of course, that's not what defines a good goalie, but you well, always wanted him. Patrick is well.
2: also the only goalie to deke around Wayne Gretzky. So, I mean, <laughs> he'll, he'll take that crown and he'll live with it forever. And for that reason
1: is how... A lot of us remember that goalies can't handle the yeah. puck that <laughs> pass far yeah, past center ice. But that's just uh, – I love that moment. Thanks for pointing that yeah. out too. <laughs> um, other than that, that's all we got for you this week. Uh, like I said, we're going to finish this episode with a quick conversation with Andre Burakovsky. But um, that's all I've got. Thanks
2: for joining us. Absolutely. And we'll see you guys hopefully next Sunday before that Detroit game that sends us into the All-Star break.
1: Yeah, that one's special for you being that you're for, from Detroit. So, yeah, uh, looking forward to that. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, thanks again for joining us. Let us know what you think about the show. And until next time, we out you.
2: So, obviously, you guys are in a little bit of a stretch. Um, three, six, and two in your last 11. Is this one of those cases where you just sort of have to play it out and wait for it to end? Or is there something specific that you might think is causing this?
0: I mean, it's tough to really... Put a finger on it, you can play games where you're doing everything almost perfect, but uh, you still are still losing the game. I mean, it's how hockey is. It's it's tough to really put a finger on what it is. I think we're doing some mistakes. I think last game, I think we started the game really well, and uh, we're doing a lot of good things and doing the right things. But uh, and then just eventually, like something's gonna break down and something's not gonna go away. That's gonna happen. But I think we just have to. I don't know, just put our heads down and just keep going. I mean, eventually it's got to turn around. I mean, we had one of these before uh, this season where we we lost a couple in a row I mean, and then we won a couple in a row and we're still in a good spot in, in the division. So, uh, yeah, I think we're just going to bear our heads and just restart and keep going. I mean, if you look at last game, I mean like I said, I think we're doing a lot of good things. So. It's not like we are playing terrible. We just do some mistakes once in a while and that's us. So we just can eliminate them.
2: When you fall into a stretch like this where a lot of the losses are coming because of third period comebacks from the other team, does it start really? to make you feel nervous going into the third with a lead or is it just sort of game by game you sort of play it out? No, you
0: know, you you just take one game at a time. We've, what happens in the past happened in the past. So you just gotta forget about that and keep going for the next one. I mean, now we, I think, we showed in earlier this year that we are a team that can really play physical and and uh, and hard and skate teams in the third period. And, and just right now, we we're not doing it. So we're just gonna find our way back to that. We. I don't think we're nervous at all going to your third, I think third period is always the most fun looking forward to
2: And then you specifically, obviously you're in a bit of a stretch where you haven't scored in, uh, in maybe a little over 10 games. Uh, how do you work your way out of that is it just like you said put your head down and keep working or do you work do you start to work on specific things in practice and in the morning skates uh, i think just
0: for uh, for me right now i think i'm making plays i'm doing a lot of good things uh, just for me right now is that um, i'm kind of back to i'm a feeling like i'm back to some some old habits that uh, every time i'm coming in, in this oh, offensive zone I'm, I'm still looking for a play i think I just have to get back to where I was earlier, the year, where I uh, was looking to shoot more and, and get pucks to net. So I'm not worried. I mean, we, I'm still having good chances. I think I had some shots that almost went in, a couple of posts and whatever in the couple of last games. So I'm not worried about that. We're it's just, it's just going to get together as a team and, and, uh, and turn this around.